When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Multifaceted is an adjective that barely scratches the surface of who Tariq Trotter, aka Black Thought, is, what he does, and what he can do. He's a vocalist, lyricist, composer, actor, film and TV producer, and college professor whose endeavors are all rooted in his gift for rapping and storytelling. At 51, he's become a household name after three decades of pushing the boundaries of hip-hop with The Roots, the band he co-founded with Questlove. In that time, Black Thought has become a paragon of longevity, artistic merit, and success in an entertainment business that affords very few artists all three. Yet despite the acclaim and accolades, the visibility that comes with being the voice of The Tonight Show's house band, and the respect and admiration of rhyming peers from Jay-Z to J.I.D., Black Thought is still hungry. For Tariq Trotter, there's always more to accomplish, and more parts of himself to unlock. That's why, since 2018, we've gotten a series of solo projects from him, in collaboration with a list of unexpected producers, including Salam Remy, Danger Mouse, Ninth Wonder, and Sean C. The latest project from the prolific MC is his collaboration with El Michaels Affair, the Leon Michaels-led band with their throwback analog soul feel. In conversation with Fader contributor Tim Aku last month, the master lyricist and performer explained how he confronts his anxiety in the spotlight, why he's more prolific now than ever before, and the role self-discovery plays in his creative process. I remember reading about The Roots touring schedule when you guys were touring really heavily, and it was something like 300 days out of the year. Crazy. So, like, fast forward to the future, you are the Tonight Show's house band. Even though you're relatively stationary, that's still a lot of work. That's still a lot of things you have to do, like, almost every day. But yet and still, you guys are making films. You guys are putting out albums. You guys are teaching how? Well, you know, for me, there there are 28 hours in a day. So, nah. You know, man, I think it, it boils down to what level of drive one has, right? And they talk about, you know, surrounding yourself with folks who inspire you. You know, that's the space that I've been blessed and that Quest Love and, you know, just the roots as a collective. We've been blessed to you know, to exist and to move through our career within a space where no part is greater than the sum. We've just always been able to inspire uh, one another to aspire to higher levels. You know what I mean? So for me, you know, getting to work with Questlove and James Poyser and Ray Angry and Stro Elliott and, you know, Dave Guy and just, I mean, so many people in the room, everybody has their own sort of thing that they do when we're not together as the roots. And I mean, I would say 
that absence makes the heart grow fonder. But I mean, there that we don't really get to experience the absence because we still see one another every day. But yeah, there's just a mutual respect and admiration for what it is that you know we are able to achieve independently. And I think that makes us um, just that much more strong as a unit. Whenever we come back together to do anything, if it's Quest Love and me. That makes he and I a dynamic duo. You know, if we we coming back as, you know, 12 people on a stage as the roots, you know, if we haven't been together and we sort of, you know, part of ways while this guy did that thing and that guy did, you know, the other, when we come back, we're uh, we're better for it and the unit is better for it and our performance is better for it. And uh, I have very many things that I can consider like my job, but you know how they say, you got one job. Like my one job is, you know, maintaining the dynamics of the roots as a collective. And, you know, from that, all things are sort of possible. I have a question about drive. You've had a a long career. There's been downs, there's been ups, but it's been a lot of ups. You know what I'm saying? You've accomplished a lot, you know, like from critical acclaim to actually winning awards, to selling records, going from from being like newbies in this, whatever, that people kind of had to struggle to understand, all right, what's what are they doing? Are they a band? Is it hip hop? Is it jazz? Is it et cetera, et cetera? To being kind of the cornerstone, right? Like everybody looks to the roots when they say, all right, this is musicianship and this is lyricism. You've accomplished a lot. Where are you getting the drive from to accomplish more? Like, it feels like complacency isn't a thing <laughs> for you. I mean, I could I could coast, you know, um, but there would be a part of me that would still be left unfulfilled. You know what I mean? There'd still be something, you know, just within me that I would need to do. Most of the things that I do, I would be doing whether I was there was compensation involved or not, right? Um, I'm a creative. I'm an artist. This is what I've always been. The medium changes, right? It's ever evolving. The disciplines cross. You know what I'm saying? I work in different spaces, in different fields, but um, it's all as a creative and it's all, you know, me as a storyteller, just using whatever tools I have at that particular moment to tell the same story. I feel like that's what it boils down to. And, you know, the reason why I'm motivated to still just achieve a thing, to achieve more is because I've yet to achieve it all. And I've seen people that I've known and that I've worked with and my collaborators and, you know, just I've crossed paths with very many, a man, a woman, a person who has literally come from nothing to everything. I mean, I feel like I, I, I came from nothing in very many ways and I've had, you know, my share of adversities in life. You play you play the, the, the hand that you're dealt and I feel like I played it, but there's just a lot, there's so much left to the trajectory. I'm, I feel like I'm only, I'm about halfway through this journey and it's been an incredible ride thus far. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, it just, it, it continues to, you know, just to get better. The roots we've uh, taught, we we like to say it's been the tortoise and the hare. Uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, by many accounts, we played it safe throughout uh, this long career. And I feel like it's served us in, in very many ways. Yeah, I say we played it safe in that we've always, we almost overthought the outcome at every turn. You know, sometimes the reward is is worth the risk. But yeah, other times the risk sort of outweighs the reward. And we've, you know, just been able to calibrate and calculate, you know, to, just to make those uh, the best informed decision in, in whichever moment of time for our career. And 
at that particular moment in time, you know, looking back, it hasn't always felt like the best move. Like, you know what I mean? You want your next move to always be your best move. And you feel like, wow, like there are people from my same class though. You know what I mean? This dude graduated with me and he's doing X, Y, and Z. But here we are in 2023. You know what I mean? Just the truth be told, there are very many people who have gone on to varying levels of, of success and, um, and then petered out. In the roots, I feel like things just happen as they should and have happened as they should have and and you know when they were destined to and that's sort of it you know what i mean but um i feel like i've only just begun you know we've only just begun as as a a group and then just me again as a storyteller and um just reaching a point in my career where i'm able to be as transparent and as open and as vulnerable and you know as i as i am at this point in my career it's there was no shortcut to this like it's taken all that time and all that, you know, all the bricks that have been laid in order for me to land at where I am, you know. You know, what's interesting in thinking about the roots from kind of like a media perspective, Amir is usually the mouthpiece of person talking. And I think maybe initially when you came out, people, they were like, the MC doesn't talk, <laughs> right? You know, like he doesn't talk to the media. He's not, you know, he's like, if you want to hear what I think, you have to listen to the record. You buy that CD, you buy that tape, you buy that vinyl, you pop it in, and now you get a, a, a view of what's going on. But I've seen in this chapter of your life, you know, even for you to be doing an interview to me is like, right? Tell me what switch flipped in which you decided, all right, you know, I want to be not just more visible, but I want to kind of let people in to know what the black thought thoughts are. Was that a process of, you know, emotional development? Was that a, a, a means to an end of accomplishing these goals that you have for yourself, these lofty goals of taking your storytelling everywhere it can go? What happened? What changed to you? All of the above uh, has taken place. Yeah, you know, I've always dealt with a certain level of anxiety associated with public speaking, particularly speaking to young people. So like having to get up in front of a group of kids or a classroom or, you know, an intimate group of folks has always been, you know, a hurdle of sorts for me to overcome. So, you know, the way that I've dealt with that, you know, in more so in recent years than than ever, um, is to just take it on head first, just to dive all the way into it. So I've been, you know, making a conscious effort to embrace things like, you know, stand-up comedy and musical theater and public speaking and mentorship and, you know, things that, you know, I wouldn't naturally, you know, sort of be cl like clamoring to do, but that I know they serve a purpose. So it's all an exercise in sort of overcoming that anxiety. And it's an exercise in, in my own self-exploration. And it's a realization of, okay, if I can see it, I can actually be it. You know what I mean? I've really been able to, you know, ideate on a thing and say, hey, yo, you know, it'd be dope if I taught a class at NYU. You know what I'm saying? I would love to become a college professor. And then, you know, now I'm a couple semesters in, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm able to check that box off, but I'm not satiated. You know what I mean? I'm I'm still hungry. I haven't reached a, a place yet where I feel I'm at the pinnacle and I, I could rest on my laurels. I could chill. That sort of explains one prong of it. How I sort of got here in that is that because of that anxiety, you know, after like early in my career, I did uh, my first few interviews, like we would do press 
junkets, you know what I'm saying? Like all day, uh, we would go to different countries and, you know, we do, Quest and I would do 20, 30 interviews that day, right? He always enjoyed it. It was, he was made for it. This is what he would do, you know, play interviews when we were kids. Like he was <laughs> like about that interview life, right? I was never about that. To your point, I've always felt like if you really want to know what I have to say, like I'm I'm saying it in all these songs. Like this extensive discography is me, is my point of views, my world views and my sociopolitical views and how I feel about myself and family. And we started out and I was misquoted a couple times earlier on. And that sort of just left a bad taste in my mouth to where I did say, okay, you know what? Since this seems to be just a reoccurring theme, I'm going to fall back and I'll just have Questlove who enjoyed it and who, you know, was articulate and eloquent. He figured out how to engage the interviewer without always answering the question even. You know what I mean? Like he would engage you for forever until you forgot what you asked him. And it's a that's a certain it's a certain skill. He's a master of that. So I I let, I let him rock and um you know, and I was fine sort of uh playing a supporting role. Like I said, the roots has always been a collective. So we've always been just an extended group of people who are into like different things. So I was fine playing a supporting role, but that only served me to a certain extent. And then, you know, I, at one point, I reached a point in my career where in order to progress, you know, further along my own, you know, career path, I needed to step out to the forefront more. I had to embrace more uh, of those challenges and had to literally start taking the bull by the horns more head on. I was at sort of a crossroads trying to figure out what that was going to look like, how I could make that happen organically. And uh, the the play Black No More, the musical fell into my laps. And it was like, okay, this is something that I was a producer on. I was, you know, thought I was coming on to do a little bit of music. And I wound up, you know, composing, arranging it almost in its entirety. And then having to act in it, having to work on both sides of the table on that project, which is still an ongoing thing. We've had an off-Broadway run. We're gearing up now for a Broadway run. That just gave me a different a different appreciation for the stillness and the dedication and the nuance involved in not only musical theater, but I mean, really, like I said, everything that I've done in recent years, the stand-up comedy, it's all just been an exercise that informs my pen and informs my body and my my muscle memory and my dna when i have to come back and do anything else in a roots or black thought capacity so um i've made that awkwardness and anxiety sort of work in my favor and i don't know that i would have been able to do it at any point earlier in my career i just reached a point where i had i said all the things the only thing that was left unsaid was the personal shit about myself and my life and my family and things that I hadn't worn on my sleeve because that I didn't want that to necessarily be my calling card as a young person. But yeah, when I run into fans who say, I've supported you for 20 years at this point and I still feel like I don't know you, what could I do? Or, you know, what could we do to, you know, just to have a deeper engagement? You know what I'm saying? I had to just, you know, open up in that way. That was the only, that was like the final frontier, if you will. 
Three for the money, two for the hustle, and one for the nighttime spread over the city like a comforter. Prime time for the predators who come to hunt for the chunks. Carrying them high notes like a trumpeter. They shoot as straight as arrows and run through the shadows as sons of a gun or dirty young cavalabros with marks on their collars where they hung from the gallows. Their lust for the dollars keep them red like the tarot's making fiends, influencing people. Dale Carnegie's with big dreams to get rich quick that fail horribly now. They play the avenue of Amsterdam. This really makes me think about Glorious Game. Not just about like you working with a band outside of the roots or whatever, but like the range of topics you cover, the vocal approaches on it. Tell me what people are getting from thought that they haven't gotten from you before on this record. I would say on Glorious Game, what people are getting that they haven't gotten before from me is nuance, right? My sweet spot that I've come to understand probably over the past like you know eight years or so is that because I've worked you know, for such a long time as part of a collective and sort of serving the greater good of, of the Roots consensus, like my dexterity really is best served as a writer and as a storyteller outside the Roots if I'm working with one producer at a time. I could work with 20 producers on 20 projects simultaneously. You know what I mean? I'm able to compartmentalize in that way, but as long as there's only one producer per project, I feel like that's my sweet spot. And that's like a, how I've been able to hit this productive stride in recent years since uh, the Streams of Thought series began and stuff like that. I think in The Roots, um, not only have we, you know, played it safe, which is, you know, worked in our favor. That sets the bar at a certain place. And that's where why we've been able to maintain the bar as The Roots, where it has always been. But there's still something to be said about going with your gut, working in as close to an improvisational dynamic as possible. And that's what sets what I do outside the roots apart. Like I don't spend a lot of time if it's me and Ninth Wonder or me and Salam Remy or me and Sean C or Danger Mouse working on a thing. It's like I show up, sometimes we get two songs done in a session. You write on the spot? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. That's what Streams of Thought has been about. I have four volumes completed. Three have been released. They were all recorded almost, you know, on the spot. Like I get in a room with the producer while you're working on music. I'm writing to said music. And by the, t the it's almost a challenge. I want to be done at least my first verse or two verses by the time you're done the beat. Or, you know, at least by the time you're done, you know, a skeletal like reference version of, you know, what we're going to later flesh out. So that's been working for me. Um, and also with the Danger Mouse project, uh, Cheat Codes. He and I, you know, we started a project maybe 14, 15 years ago. And then, you know, it had, you know, yeah, fits and starts. Life happened. Nas Barkley and The Tonight Show and Broken Bells and, you know, X, Y, and Z has taken place during that time. But when we finally got together and said, okay, let's finish this record, we essentially started from scratch. And it was just he and I getting together, two people in a room every day, not even an engineer because he was engineering the project and he would play a beat or play an idea and I would write to it and we would record it and that was it. And we got done the album that was, you know, 14 years in the making and a year's time. It's like it really took no time once we were laser focused and we sort of tapped in. And um, I'm just big on listening to the universe in that way. And I feel like the way I worked as a, a younger person was what needed to be done during that you know stage of my life. And the way I work now, it best suits 
not only, you know, my creative ADHD of sorts, but it best suits the palate of the listener and of the audience and their attention span too. You know what I mean? So I'm able to sort of shuffle culture my, you know, recording process in a, in the same way that the listener, you know, sort of shuffles through from project to project. You know what I'm saying? Like how they consume themselves. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, it's just worked out for me, man. And I feel like in this, this you know, new phase of just being open, we arrived at this glorious game thing, which is probably one of my most personal projects to date in that I made a conscious decision. I said, okay, this, I'm going to make an effort for every song on this project to be a story. So it's going to be all narrative. doesn't have to be to connect seamlessly, but it's going to be all narrative and it's going to all come from a personal place because that is what L. Michael's Affair and Minahan Street Band and, I mean, going all the way back to Sharon Jones and Dap Kings and, you know, any iteration of this ensemble of musicians, it's been a nostalgic aspect to it. Um, a certain familiarity is associated with it. You know, my head exploded when I found out that the stuff that was coming from Daptone and and the stuff that was coming from uh, Leon's label, it wasn't old. You know what I mean? I was like, wait, like this this is contemporary shit. Like it's, you know what I mean? These dudes are in Brooklyn and in Queens right now. Like so, I'm that was like a revelation for me. And um, I've just always been compelled by their sound, and it might you know just boil down to. Just the way I resonate, I identify most with a living, breathing bed of sound because of the Roots live instrumentation aspect. And I come from the old school of recording on two-inch reels. Like, I'm I'm from walking around with reels under my arm. Like, this is the album. You know what I mean? And, I, and this is just two. This is two songs off the album on these four huge boxes that I'm carrying around. And the fact that, you know, Leon for all intents and purposes, still works that way. And, you know, he's been able to incorporate some of the digital convenience of the modern world without compromising the integrity of the sound. And um, I feel like he's one of the only producers who exists in that space. You know what I mean? You got some people who sort of touch on it. Like, you know what I mean? Mark Ronson does it a little bit. Free Nationals, you know what I mean? Uh, Kerrang Band. Like, it's a couple people who sort of do that, but I feel like he's mastered it. He lives in it and it's so effortless that it makes the creative process effortless. And that's all I'm really here for. Cause we, like we were just saying, I'm not doing any of this because I need to, I'm doing everything that I do because, you know, I hate to say it's self-serving. You know what I mean? Like, this is the shit that I would still be doing again, whether I was making a cent from it or not, I would still be going to kick it with Leon and saying, yo, you got any beats and, you know, just trying to come up with a thing. Cause that's sort of what I do. So that's all I want to do at this point. I don't because I don't have to be a part of the the rat race. I'm just in a space where I could I could be free and open and I can be, you know, like I said, vulnerable and I could sing on a tune or I could, you know, talk about my lived experience and, you know, just sort of it's it's a great sort of place to be in, but again, there's there's no shortcut to it. You know what I mean? You have to be 50 years old with 30 plus years in the game. Like, you know, there's no way to shortcut into doing what it is that I do or doing what it is that we do. So that said, yeah, that's how we sort of arrived at this project. This is a, uh, you know, a passion project again, uh, that just came from mutual fandom and the fact that, uh, Dave Guy and Ian Hendrickson Smith had become members of the roots and that they're also part of, you know, the Dap tone, big crown extended family, 
um, we just, you know, organically started working together. I would go to the studio after tonight's show with Dave and Ian and just being around, just being, you know, immersed in it. And part of that process, I knew something was going to come of it and what it was going to look like, sound like, or when it was going to be was, you know, still had still yet to be determined. And um, I'm just not about forcing anything. I want everything to happen just in a natural way. Yeah. Once everything shut down and it was like, okay, sink or swim, like you could either not work at all and, you know, what was me end of the world it, or, you know, you can try and just, you know, amass the most extensive discography, uh, you know, just expand your body of work beyond anyone's imagination and leave it in a time capsule because, you know, tomorrow isn't promised. And that's the way I sort of dove, dove into it. And I became a super productive. I was more productive over the past three years, maybe than I have been at any point in my career. And I've been able to keep more multiple plate spending than I have at any point in my career. And again, and compartmentalize it and have, you know, just a bunch of different projects going simultaneously. And as I release a project, as one comes out, I'm completing another one. And I don't want to go back to the feeling of you and I partner up, we do a partnership, we do a deal. And then I take my marching orders and I got to go and figure out the art. I'm I'm about keeping a, a full clip like forever from here on out. So yeah, as another joint comes out, man, I got too many albums in the works right now to name. I'll be forgetting how many joints I'm working on. And it's not even, you know, it's like we got joints recorded, you know what I'm saying? Like me and so many different producers and other artists. And I really, you know, I don't even know if earlier on it was about pride as much as it was just, it was just a standard within the industry that, you know, like I'm not going to be on nobody's jock, right? So we were far less likely 20 years ago, even 10 years ago to give the next person their flowers. Right. And to say, hey, I'm a huge fan of yours. I've always wanted to work with you. And um, I'm all about that now. And I feel like um, that's the case with a lot of artists that I have a, a great deal of respect for, too. So we're finding out that we've always been fans of one another and have always wanted to work together and have just not gotten around to it. And then that also informs, uh, you know, when we do get around to doing it, it's like it comes. Me and Salam Remy did that album, Streams of Thought, Volume 2 in like two sessions. Like we had on our third, our third recording session, the third time I went to his house, we were putting the finishing touches on that album. Tell me how you're going about these collaborations and how these things are kind of coalescing because, you know, usually when people think about, you know, so-and-so rapper is going to do a collab, there's kind of like a short list of like the usual suspects. None of the suspects you've really rocked with thus far have been like the usual suspects. Maybe kind of nice because Knife had done that before or whatever, but not Salam, not Sean C, um, not Danger Mouse to this extent. I haven't seen something like this since Danger Mouse did like, you know, the Doom record or the Gemini record at the beginning of his career. Right. So talk about how these collaborations are coming about. They've come to come to be in an organic manner. So it's just folks that I already have a rapport with or who are in my life or connected to me, maybe by separated by one degree. Like a good example, Streams of Thought Volume 4 was produced completely by a producer named 14KT, or he goes by KT. He's from Detroit. He's now LA-based, um, a brilliant producer. I never knew dude, you know what I mean? I wasn't familiar with his work, but I've got lots of you know connections to Detroit. I got family, longtime friends. DJ Jazzy Jeff does these retreats you know, at his home, 
annually where he flies in writers, producers from all over the world with a concerted effort of let's come up with the dopest thing we could do in a week or in two weeks. I didn't meet KT at Jeff's crib at, at, at one of those retreats, but James Poiser met him there. And, you know, James is a member of The Roots. And James is also, you know, an original member of Jazzy Jeff's Camp. And James is like, yo, I met this dude. He's a brilliant producer. I met him at Jeff's crib. You know, he said he's a huge fan. He has this one beat. He wants to play for you. Is it cool to give him your email? And I said, sure. He gave you my email. We chopped it up. KT sent me this beat. And it was the beat to a song called Black, like B-L-A-A-A-A-A-A-C-K, exclamation mark, right? And it um that became the first song that I recorded, me and Yasin Bey, on Streams of Thought Volume 4. And it's a timeless classic. It's been in my vault for a couple years already. It could come out at any point in time. You know what I'm saying? And it, it'll still represent a seismic shift in the game just because of how powerful it is and what it speaks to. And that was the first song that we recorded. And it was like, yo, I mean, if this is what the process is going to be like, like, let's just, let's keep it rolling. And we just boom, 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 boom. Like, I've done... On Streams of Thought Volume 4, I mean, I got collaborate. I know we this it, we're supposed to be talking about uh, Glorious Game. Streams, Streams of Thought Volume 4, I've got, four, I mean, produced by 14KT. I got Rick Ross. I got Redman. I got Farrell Monch, Yasin Bey, Currency, Fabulous, Toby Wegwa, Big Crit, Nicole Ray, J.I.D., Saba. There's a um, at least one feature on almost every song. I may have one, I think maybe two joints on that whole project that there isn't a feature on. So the way that informs what I will go on to do with Leon is like we say, okay, let's maybe do a joint where we just where the focus is solely on me, and there are no features. This just felt like the space to sort of for that to be the flex. You know what I mean? And that's what this, this, I mean, aside from, you know, aesthetically, sonically, that's what distinguishes those two projects that I worked on simultaneously. But yeah, that said, man, you know, it's just, uh, it all comes from a natural place and a real place. Another thing that, that really stands out in what you said is that it's a more improvisational approach to creation that feels a lot more free. And I'm thinking about the textures of the L. Michaels record, of this, you know, glorious game record and, and how, they not only lend themselves to like emotion, you know what I'm saying? But they lend themselves to like that flow of the emotion being put into story form for a song. Like that girl. I pulled the flower from the garden, a pure floor, the jardine, a bloodline mix, the Philippines with New Orleans. The vibe made me think of Diane Carroll and Claudine. Whoever couldn't see it, then so be it. Like I mean, a queen nightingale and her wings whisper the sky and tell. The sun and moon are her biggest fans, they sent a mail. Skin caramel and magnetism, none comparable. From Venus to Venezuela, they call her Miss Michelle. Her beauty truly a treasure. Her laughter was a song. No way I could ever be right if love on her was wrong. There was times my character might have been less than strong. She would leave, but she'd always come back where she belonged. She got the whole wide world under her finger. When we were young, she came in and stung me with a stinger. You hear the tenderness kind of in it. You hear like the appreciation, admiration. For women, a woman, I'm not sure, right? But like, you feel it, you know what I'm saying? So tell me a little, actually tell me a little about, about that record specifically. <laughs> you summed it up, really, in a nutshell. It was one of those beats that it was like, okay. I mean, none of the music that Leon came up with during this process of recording original joints, 
often during this process, he would record a full on original composition with live instrumentation and then sample a small section of it and then play more live instrumentation over that section which is, you know, just a different process in and of itself. And that lends itself to layers of emotion, right? If I have that sort of composition to begin with, it's not broke. I could listen to just the music alone, you know, without any words. So I don't want whatever it is that I do, it has to be adding on. It has to be giving more insight. It has to be, you know, moving the story along, moving the emotion along. It has to compel you in a different way than just listening to this beautiful music would. So um, that's sort of the approach. And, you know, that girl is almost not the antithesis, but it's the other it's the other side of the coin to the song uh, You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a song for women, about women, right? You know, that is relatable for any any woman who sort of has to hustle to get from A to B or, you know, to, from A to arrive at Z. That girl is about my wife. It's about my, my lady. So, um, you know, those are sort of the two extremes. Even in my class, I talk about how, you know, LL back in the day set that precedent with I need love of being a rapper's rapper, you know, someone who's super lyrical, but who always finds a place, you know, on an album to do that, you know, I want you or to do that, you know, I need love or, you know what I mean? He set that precedent. He was like the first rapper that really, that I had that level of respect for as a pioneer, like the first artist out of my top five who made it cool, made it okay, made it, you know what I mean, valid as a writer to tell that sort of story. You know, rock him with mahogany. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, stuff like that. So this album is almost like a continuation of that tradition. Like songs like like those begat songs like, you know, the You Got Me's and Silent Treatments from the Roots catalog, which be, are, are still, you know, very different from what it is that I do here with songs like that girl and you're not alone so but it's all they're all correlated you know what i mean it, it's it represents an evolution of a certain type of storytelling that um i feel like just shows range and it gives depth and um dimension you know to an artist you know what i'm saying every joint can't be i mean well you know you make creative decisions right i could do an album without taking a break with that's an album's length of just all going at rappers, you know what I mean? Just super lyrical, lyrical, derrical, hysterical, you know what I mean? That's less of a challenge for me. So for me, what is more engaging is to have, a, to rise to an occasion, to rise to a challenge and, you know, see something through to fruition. That's where, you know, you get this sort of project where I feel like Leon and I receive as much out of it as uh, the consumer. It brings me to even the title of the record, Glorious Game. What does that mean to you? For me, Glorious Game is just that information passed down from an OG, from a, a gatekeeper, from an elder statesman, if you will, with a cautionary tale here and there, but not being too preachy, you know, told from a personal perspective, just giving you some jewelry to to, to move with, you know what I mean? Hopefully, you know, every listener is going to be able to latch on to a different part, a different aspect of this project, and then move on and apply a different part of it to what it is that they have to do, either to their process or to their relationship or to their, you know, self-awareness, their understanding of themselves or to their lives, you know what I'm saying? So that, that, that's what it, it means to me. If we clash, I'll haul the trash off and haul the cash off and ball and ass off. That's all, it ain't too much talk. All y'all chumps, it ain't enough chalk. 
Y'all thought the name was just all, come on, I'm too strong for y'all to cut short You see light like mine once a lifetime, when some young gun becomes an icon But somehow they'll cut down the flight time unless they send that heat down the pipeline My mind is hard to explain, call y'all all aboard for this train I float like a Nautilus main, damn I love this glorious game In the climate, the political, socio-political climate that we've been in in the past three years Which are also your most productive years where have you seen your subject matter or have you seen your subject matter deal specifically with what's going on in America and around the globe? Tell me about how what's outside, what's going on has been informing your artistry in this most productive part of your, your career. During this, you know, the past few years, I've been able to lean into it. Part of it may have been, again, I, I talk about how absence sort of makes the heart grow fonder. At the top of 2020, I had at that point been working on Black No More, the musical, for five years, right? So I was five years into a project that already had me outside of my, you know, safe space and just, you know, in a creative space where I was existing within the world of ideas. So anything sort of goes, right? I was writing multiple different genres of music simultaneously for multiple different voices to perform simultaneously. And then also having to write in my own voice and, you know, maintain that whole aspect of it. So when things sort of shut down, I was just so open. Like I've been a sponge and the fact that I had to learn how to move as a composer, arranger, performer in the musical theater space, um, that just had me just, you know, in my feelings in a different sort of way when it was time to come back to what I knew. Like, I've always rapped about the same thing, you know what I mean? What's happening around me? And, you know, earlier on, it may have been less personal. I may have spoke more for the Black man in America as opposed to, you know, my lived experience as a, 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 a Black person in America. I may have, spoke, you know, come more from a perspective of the Philadelphians speaking for my fellow Philadelphians. But yeah, you know, at the top of 2020, when everything shut down and with everything that's been happening in the past few years, I feel like I've come to understand how my personal story, you know, like the purpose that it could serve and how through my personal story and through me being as transparent and again, as open as I've been able to become, how that will best serve the greater good. And, you know what I mean? Just really the world on, on a whole. So you think about how can I make a difference? For me, I never intended to say, I never want, you know, say, yo, I want to save the world. I want to start a, a revolution. I knew I wanted to be revolutionary. And I've been around long enough to meet people who tell me that they were at the end of their rope. You know what I mean? There are people who are in my life now who, you know, were very close to ending their lives. You know what I'm saying? Or very close to, you know, either taking their lives or taking someone else's life or just giving up completely who through something that I wrote on a random Tuesday that, you know, wasn't even, you know, if you ask me what's the most impactful, important shit I've ever written, I wouldn't even list those songs, those bars, but they like, yo, this thing that you said at this time, you know what I mean, struck me in this way and it's changed my life. And that's happened to me enough times where I realized that it's, it's those small victories and it's through those small victories that I'm able to make the most impact. So this is how I'm changing the world. This is my way of saving the world. It's one person, one listener, one project, one verse, one bar at a time. Chuck D said, I don't rhyme for the sake of riddling. I, I'm I'm from cut from that cloth. You know what I'm saying? Every bar that I say 
every word that I make reference to, every term, every, you know, concept, it means something to someone. And yeah, I mean, a lot of it might go over your head. That means it wasn't necessarily for you, right? But it's going to land. Everything is going to land someplace. And um, that's just it, man. That's like where, where I am as an artist. And that's what makes it, you know, most most meaningful, uh, you know, to me. And um, I went into overdrive in that regard, you know, since since uh, 2020. You know, hip hop, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary this year with all of this longevity for the art form itself should come some not just respect and regard, but prestige. And, you know, a look at the actual art forms and disciplines within hip hop as things to be treated seriously. MCing is one of those things. No, this is a specialized skill. This is an, an art. You know, you go to Juilliard and you train your voice, right? This is what you this is what we need to be doing or should be doing or can be doing for the art I'm seeing. That's my mission statement at this point. You know what I'm saying? Is continuing to elevate the art of MCing to, you know, high art. We're just reaching a place where we're able where we're able to understand our our value as as creatives, right? Just traditionally black voices, um, black vocalists, black writers, um, the the black aesthetic, our perspective has been undervalued. And, you know, we're just reaching a point in time where we're able to sort of make the universe, make the world sort of pay like they weigh in certain regards. And um, this is a, this is all, you know, a continuation of that. This is, it all goes hand in hand. But again, like I said, things happen as they should. And at the time that they're destined to, and there's no shortcut to this. Like what's happening right now couldn't have happened in the nineties or early aughts. Like all the shit that's transpired since then has had to take place in order to give you all the proper points of reference. You know what I mean? So now like we here, we here where we at, you know what I mean? It's dope to have lasted this long and to still be around and to still be relevant. And it's nothing that I take, you know, I definitely don't take it for granted. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a blessing. Yeah. I love it. Back to uh, the album title, some glorious game, brother, for real, for real. Like I think for all the artists who may be listening to this, like learn a little about, longevity and how you can have longevity how you can challenge yourself i think one thing that's been a kind of through line this whole conversation is like you're not complacent because you want to challenge yourself to be a better man a better communicator a better storyteller a better artist a better creative all the time and i think that leads us into all these things you know like that's you know what everything sprouts from is like i want to be better at all these things i'm going to challenge my anxiety hearing black thought master mc Talk about anxiety as a thing that you push up against is is really, really deep. That was Black Thought talking to Tim Aku. Black Thought's new album with Al Michaels' affair, Glorious Game, drops this Friday, April 14, via Big Crown Records. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Loughton Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.